Hey, Real Pink listeners, this is just a quick note to let you know all episode transcripts are available at realpink.comen.org under each episode's post. Our guest this week will be sharing a lot of great info and resources, and we don't want you to have to worry about rewinding or writing it down. Again, that's realpink.comen.org. Susan G. Komen is proud to launch the MBC Fund, specifically designed to spur scientific discoveries and support those women and men living with metastatic breast cancer, building on Komen's $210 million investment in breast cancer research. For more information on the MBC Fund and how to support it, visit www.komen.org MBC. This week on Susan G. Komen's Real Pink Podcast, we are hosting daily conversations about metastatic breast cancer. Just in the U.S., metastatic breast cancer is expected to kill more than 42,000 people this year alone. That's like a sold-out Major League Baseball stadium disappearing every year. That's unacceptable. That's why every day this week, during National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we're speaking with people living with metastatic breast cancer sharing their stories, their experiences, and their words of advice. Researchers are constantly searching for new and better ways to treat breast cancer. Advances over the last 40 years have increased survival and improved quality of life for people diagnosed with breast cancer. And this is an especially exciting time in metastatic breast cancer research. Many new treatments for metastatic breast cancer are under study and treatment is improving. To tell us more about the emerging areas of breast cancer treatment, today on the show, I have Dr. Donald McDonald. Donald, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me on today. I'm really excited to chat with you. So uh, but before we dive in, just give us a little bit of information about yourself. Tell us what you're about. I'm a breast cancer researcher. All of my research is focused on developing new therapies. And really, in the last 25 years, my group is particularly focused on trying to develop therapies for late stage or metastatic breast cancer. I came to this field kind of in an interesting way. Everyone has their story. Um, And actually, I think mine is particularly funny and interesting, is that um, I met my wife in 1978 at a dance. And the night of that dance was the night that her mother had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And at that time, I was on my way with a scholarship to study marine biology. But after I got to know the family and got to know my wife's mother, it became clear to me that my interest lay much more in doing biomedical research than doing marine biology. Changed my scholarship, changed my major, and started off a career in breast cancer research, moving to Houston to study with Bert O'Malley down in Houston, who's kind of the grandfather or the godfather of uh, hormone action in breast cancer. And using that information then started off working between academics and industry, taking you know mechanistic insights that we've learned and how hormones work in breast cancer to the latest and most contemporary drug screening technologies um, to advance the field. And so that's kind of my whole personal history, how I got into it and where I'm doing, why I'm doing it now. So that's fascinating. So, so I'm really glad you went to that dance. Did you dance at the dance or did you stand on the side? Um, I danced to the dance, but it did take a little bit of coaxing. <laughs> I, I share that sentiment. I share that sentiment. Yeah. Well, well, that's great. Well, let's dig in. Uh, what are some of those promising new treatments for metastatic breast cancer? Yeah. 
So to understand what the promising new treatments are, I think it's fair to go back and just look upon where we came from. Okay, um, I'd hate people to forget that we've made a tremendous amount of progress, as you said, in the last 40 years. And I think that the they, they have basically held the foundation for our current advances. So let's go back just to approximately 1978. I'm not going to go through the whole history, but go back to 1978 when we really had the first hormone therapies approved for breast cancer. At that stage, we thought there was really one type of breast cancer, breast cancer. Mm -hmm. Hormone therapies came along. They showed to be very effective in late stage disease, delaying progression considerably, and in some cases, preventing recurrence of the disease. That, that was a major advance. But one of the things we found was not all patients responded to endocrine therapy. And there were two reasons for that. And that was because there are more than one type of breast cancer. We now know that only one of the three major types of breast cancer respond to endocrine therapies. Hmm. Well, that was fantastic because that's a major advance. What it did was it started the whole field of precision medicine. And we discovered that breast cancers that have a particular protein called the estrogen receptor are most likely to respond to endocrine therapies. So increasing the chance that a person with that type of breast cancer is going to get a positive response. Hmm. The flip side, unfortunately, was it said that there were other types of breast cancers where we didn't have therapies. But then uh, came along another major drug called Herceptin. And Herceptin targeted 10 to 20% of breast cancers. It targeted a protein that was expressed on the surface of breast cancers. Mm -hmm. So now we have two subtypes of breast cancers at least have targeted options. Right. The third type, which is called triple negative breast cancer, which we'll talk a little bit later on, um, has still been a very tough nut to crack. Advances have been made recently in immunotherapy, which we could talk about in a few minutes, but we really don't have the targeted therapy type approach for that type of breast cancer right now. But recently, only in the last year, have we made really significant progress in that disease. And the platform uh, that we've, we've established now is different in the three different types of cancer. What I want to do, just if you want, for the majority of the time, is focus on that area of cancer, which I'm probably most familiar with, and that is the estrogen receptor positive breast cancer, which is about 70% of all breast cancer patients. That seems like that'd be a good one to focus on then. Well, it's the prime. We can talk about the others, but right. this is the one that, that I have focused my research on. Right. So I told you endocrine therapy, the first endocrine therapy that was approved was discovered by uh, Craig Jordan. Um, while he was working as a postdoctoral fellow um, at uh, AstraZeneca, it was then called ICI. Mm -hmm. And this was the first, if you want, oral pill that you could take that targeted a protein in a breast cancer that did reduce, stopped or reduced the growth of a breast cancer. Wow. Interestingly enough, okay, that drug, and this is a nice story, was actually a failed oral contraceptive. It was not actually made for breast cancer. Um, in fact, there was people called it the whoops drug because it failed so badly as an oral contraceptive that basically people were having multi-parous multi, uh, multi births. Wow. And so you can imagine that uh, calling uh, switching it from a contraceptive to a breast cancer therapy was kind of an intriguing endeavor. And, but Craig successfully did that. Wow. That set the stage. And so now in the interim, what we've been doing is we've been progressively building better and better and better endocrine therapies. What has changed, though, say in the last 10 or 15 years, is that we've taken a step back. And rather than just developing a new tamoxifen, that was what that drug was called. Okay. We've actually looked at how the estrogen receptor works in these cancer cells and tried to exploit that information to develop new drugs. Hmm. 
And what was really found uh, primarily by uh, uh, the work of two different groups, Berto Valley's group in Houston and Benita Katzenellenbogen's work in Illinois, both Coleman scholars, they discovered that the estrogen receptor in some breast cancers can work without estrogen. Really? And so, yeah, and so what they figured out was is that that really what they set the stage for was for a type of drugs which we now call uh, estrogen receptor degraders. So hmm. these are drugs that bind to the estrogen receptor, degrade the receptor, and then when the receptor is not there, now it can't work. Right. There was one drug empirically of that class, which is now approved, called Fulvestran, a fantastic drug. Uh, it's got some pharmaceutical problems, but it's a fantastic drug, and it's the very first of these new class of drugs that bind to the receptor, twist it into a shape that the cell thinks it's it, it's it's uh, denatured, and it gets rid of the protein. Hmm. Now, endocrine, this drug, Fulvestran, which is approved probably about 10 years ago, reinvigorated interest in these in this class of medicines called endocrine therapies. Hmm. Fulvestran is a pretty difficult drug to take. It's got to be taken by injection. It's phenomenally successful. But our groups and others then said, well, let's try and figure out how that drug works and let's make better drugs. This new class of drugs, which is all, there are now 11 of this class in clinical trials, are called selective because they selectively destruct the receptor mm -hmm. in the estrogen, selective estrogen receptor degraders. Okay. Our group actually discovered the first drug of this particular class uh, called a Taxol. Mm-hmm. That drug, because of patent issues, never made it all the way to uh, approval studies, to reg regulatory studies. But now there are uh, drugs that have capitalized on that information, on that scaffold to develop new drugs. Wow. So in that one pocket there, endocrine therapies, there, as I said, there are 11. That's 11 trials that I know about. There could be a few others that I don't know about. Wow. In fact, I'll tell you how advanced I think we are in endocrine therapies. I don't. I have stopped my group developing anymore because I think we've done as good as we can for the moment until such time as we see clinical readouts um, of these trials. Right. Okay. So how do these new treatments and new therapies, how do they help to limit side effects that allow metastatic breast cancer patients to live longer and a better quality of life? Yeah, that's that's actually a very good question. So I, I think I kind of in, in, indirectly introduced you to that in a few minutes ago by telling you that uh, the one drug, the very first drug of this new class uh, is phenomenally effective, but it's it's really a difficult drug for patients to take. And so my group decided that, um, and I'm not the only one, this is not uh, something particularly insightful on my, my behalf, that an oral drug that could be taken once a day um, that would not have some of the side effects that um, some of these drugs have mm. would be the way to go here. And so we've known for years that inhibition of the estrogen receptor is a good thing. Now what we're learning is inhibition with drugs that don't cause massive side effects um, are the way to go. I see. It is anticipated that the most modern drugs and the most contemporary of these drugs, they may cause hot flashes mm. okay, in patients. That's unfortunately a necessary side effect of estrogen withdrawal, which these things do in women. Um, but they're unlikely to have some of the other sequelae associated with uh, the earlier drugs in this class. That's important because in metastatic breast cancer, it's now apparent from most recent studies that we really have to keep women on endocrine therapy, uh, some, most women, for long periods of time. Right. Right. minimally five years, and, and those women who are at particularly high in risk, 10 years or even more. Right. So you really need to have a drug that's, and I, I don't want to use the word loosely, but palatable. One right. drug that the cure is not worse than the disease, right? Right, yeah. I love that. And so related to sort of these clinical trials, 
do you know, can you tell me some exciting clinical trials that are designed to sort of better understand metastatic breast cancer? Yeah. So, so actually, before I do that, if you don't mind, I mean, I, I don't want you to, your, your listeners to walk away thinking that's the only class of drugs. Sure. There, there are one or two more. And the reason I need to tell you that is because what's most exciting now is the combinations. Okay. Okay. So before our interview, I just had a quick look to see how many, not so many trials, but how many new drugs are actually being tested in patients with metastatic breast cancer. And just a very quick look, um, I was able to come up with a list of 180 drugs. Wow. Now, some of these are going to be in very small companies, very small clinical trials, but that just tells you, first of all, that the breadth of the ideas. And it also tells you that what I'm telling you is really the tip of the iceberg. Right. So I'm telling you about endocrine therapies in one pillar. Now I'm going to tell you about um, what I believe is probably one of the most significant advances in the, in the treatment of metastatic breast cancer, and that is a class of drugs called CDK4-6 inhibitors. Okay. These are drugs that inhibit a very, very important cell cycle checkpoint in cells. The first developed was a drug called palbociclib. There's now two other drugs, ribociclib and abemociclib mm -hmm. um, from Pfizer, Lilly, and Novartis. Mm -hmm. all, they all target the same target. They have different off-target effects, but ultimately they all work um, essentially in the same way. They have revolutionized the treatment of metastatic breast cancer. Wow. We don't absolutely know why they're so effective. One reason we believe is that they're effective because they synergize very, very well with endocrine therapy. For the most part now, in the metastatic setting, most patients are put on uh, endocrine therapy. If they progress, they're put on endocrine therapy plus a CDK4-6 inhibitor. Mm -hmm. And now there's even a move to move forward and give patients right at the outset to give them the CDK4-6 inhibitor and uh, an endocrine therapy. Gotcha. But patients, you know, obviously like everything else, there's patients who really do very well on those patients, and then there are patients who progress. For those patients now, at least in the, in the field of um, estrogen receptor positive breast cancer, um, we had the exciting results earlier this year of the approval of what's called a PI3 kinase inhibitor. Hmm. Okay. And that's used now in patients who have, have blown through endocrine therapy palbociclib or one of the other CDK4-6 inhibitors, right. um, and uh, then they go on to this, either alone or, in, or, or still with, in combination with those drugs. Okay. So me, me just picking on those three is really doing a disservice to the whole field, but they're the ones that I think that I'm most excited about individually and in combinations right now. Okay. Wow. That's, fa I mean, that's fascinating. Uh, and so, like you said, there's a lot of information out there I would imagine there's even more out there. I mean, how can someone that's diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer find out more about new emerging areas of treatment and clinical trials? The internet is is a very daunting place. <laughs> and, you know, as, as most of us know, as if you have a pain anywhere, you can look it up and you can find, you yeah. know, some, some, some website that will tell us exactly what we need to do. That's right. For, for all of my friends and colleagues, actually, to be honest with you, I refer them to either one of three sources. Okay. For breast cancer, if they're a breast cancer patient, I really refer them to the Coleman site. Right. Coleman is a, a, a national organization that is incredibly focused on its mission to eradicate um, metastatic breast cancer. Um, and I find that the website that they have outlining not only the new therapies, but also how to contact your physician, how to talk to your physician, how to enroll in clinical trials. I find it very user-friendly, um, and I refer, you know, friends who call me all the time to that. 
That's of course, great. there's you know the American Cancer Society, uh, right. ACR has has sites as well. But they're you know they're broad and they're very they're exceptionally good as well. But but you know sometimes the larger sites are a little bit hard to navigate your way through. Mm. And then of course information from the National Cancer Institute. There are many other good breast cancer organizations. I happen to be a Coleman scholar, so I read that site quite a lot and actually contribute uh, some material to it as well. That's and great. so um, I find that to be very useful. I love that. And then, so how has, like, talk just a little bit more about how has Susan G. Komen helped to impact and shaped the breast cancer research over the last 35 years? Yeah. So, um, first of all, the, the, the nice thing about Komen uh, is that it's a very focused organization. Right. Obviously, by definition, it's focused on breast cancer, but really in the last, you know, half a dozen years or so, um, it is really focused on metastatic breast cancer. I don't want to be flippant, but, it, you know, a primary tumor is usually resolved by surgery. Hmm. Problem is, is that it's the metastatic disease um, that, that basically kills people. And so they have been singularly focused, at least in my mind, um, in their research efforts on developing not just research that treats a metastasis, but also research that prevents metastasis from the primary lesion. Gotcha. They also have a, a focus, which I really like. Um, on junior investigators. Mm. It hasn't forgotten about us old gray hairs either, um, but what it has done is it's provided uh, career catalyst awards for people who are at the early stages of their career who are really looking to focus at least some of their research in breast cancer research. And then there's junior research awards to trainees which are post-PhD but not yet ready to start up their own labs. And I think that funding the next generation of investigators with a focus on metastatic cancer has been a major uh, draw to me to this organization. Wow. The other thing that they've done, which um, I have to uh, thank them for, is that they really do allow investigators to think outside the box. Hmm. And, and, and I can say that experience. Um, I had a project that I submitted to Coleman about six years ago. But we had decided that what we wanted to do was develop strategies to see if we could harness the immune system to target cancers. Now, Anyone who looks at the, the, uh, any, even the lay literature now, you know, will see the tagline that immunotherapies don't work very well in breast cancer. Mm. And, and there's two approaches you could have from that point. One is, oh boy, okay, they don't work, let's not do that. Or two, find out why they don't work and see if you can um, harness that information to make immunotherapies work. Right. Well, that project was funded by Coleman, which was great. Um, and we just actually, uh, in that work, identified a new enzyme target We've got drugs to do this target, and we believe that these drugs can remold the immune system within the tumor to actually increase tumor immunity. And mm. now we're embarking on projects through more conventional funding mechanisms to get the next phase of those studies funded. But that project, I doubt, would have even got a second look through the conventional funders, but uh, Coleman, Coleman funded it. And I, as I talk to my colleagues over and over again, I hear that theme resonating. Mm. And then finally, they have a program which is called the Coleman Scholars. Right. And the Coleman Scholars are, uh, it's really, it's a mechanism where they get um, a, a community of breast cancer researchers, breast cancer physicians, and mm -hmm. translational researchers together to provide information on how to direct the foundation. And that's probably where this singular focus on metastatic breast cancer came from. Wow, that's fantastic. And I mean, it sounds like you're doing a lot of really great work and really helping a lot of people. I really applaud you for your work and appreciate the contribution that you're making to the community. Thank you very much. Well, this was great. Uh, Donald, I really appreciate your time. And maybe I can have you back on the show again sometime. I really enjoyed it. And thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for this special metastatic breast cancer series during National Breast Cancer Awareness Month on Real Pink. 
For more information about Komen's impact and initiatives related to metastatic breast cancer, visit komen.org forward slash MBC. It's time to end this disease.